Hi everyone, welcome to today's episode of Carry On Luggage. I'm your host, Rafaela, and today we have Danielle Lindman, who is a prominent sociologist, professor, and author whose work delves into the intersections of gender, sexuality, relationships, and media. With a keen interest in understanding power dynamics and social norms, Lindman has garnered acclaim for her insightful research and thought-provoking analysis. Currently serving as a professor at Lehigh University, Lindman brings a unique perspective to her teaching and writing, challenging traditional norms and shedding light onto the complexities of contemporary society. I'm very happy to have her today, and I hope you all enjoy the interview. For a little bit of background, she received her BA in English Creative Writing from Princeton University in 2002, and later in 2010, she got her PhD in Sociology from Columbia University. She's also the author of three books, Dominatrix, Gender, Eroticism, and Control in the Dungeon, published in 2012, Commuter Spouses, New Families in a Changing World, published in 2019, and finally, True Story, What Reality TV Says About Us, published in 2022. Thank you so much for agreeing to participate. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm, re I'm excited to talk to you. I think I want to start out by asking you, how did you begin your career in sociology and were you always interested in the topics of your study? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, well, growing up, I thought I was going to be a creative writer and that's what I majored in in college. And then I worked for a sociology professor when I was in college and I was really interested in the work that I did for him. So I decided to go to graduate school and pursue becoming a sociologist. And I knew I was interested in gender and sexuality And the more I studied, I realized I was I was drawn to topics in the area of deviance, which is like a loaded word, but it just means behavior that falls outside of a norm. Um, and so that's really become central to what I study. And so my book about reality TV is kind of an offshoot of that. You have these people doing these kind of zany, crazy yeah. things, but actually by looking at these people, we can better understand ourselves as a society. And your work, Because you, like you mentioned, you like working with sort of behaviors that are atypical, they can challenge traditional notions and stereotypes. Have you faced any pushbacks or criticisms in your research? And how do you respond to those who question the validity or importance of these topics? Yeah, I've definitely faced some pushback from a variety of different spheres. So there are definitely the people who think, you know, people on Goodreads who think my book about reality TV is too liberal and biased and which is weird because I don't see it as a liberal book at all. I'm just presenting data that exists about the world. So and that data shows that say racism exists, sexism exists. I don't think it's a liberal perspective to say that inequalities exist yeah. when there's a wealth of empirical evidence to back that up. And then there are some people who will say, like, well, you didn't go far enough. The book should be more liberal from kind of both ends in that respect. Um, and then there are the people, you know, in academia who don't think it's worthwhile to study reality TV. 
right? I get like, oh, wow, like people are paying good money to go attend your university and you're teaching students about reality TV. But what I say to them is that it's not just reality TV. It's not like we're sitting around and watching the Kardashians. It's reality TV is kind of a hook into a lot of the central concerns of these huge things that hulk in our society and shape the way that we live our lives, like gender, race, class, deviant, and sexuality, can all be seen through the lens of reality TV. So it's not just about reality TV, but it's about what that can teach us about our broader society. What I really like that you mentioned how reality TV about teaching in regards to a broader society is that when I first moved to the U.S., I was completely out of touch with like slang because I learned slang through Gossip Girl and 90201 Beverly Hills, which are yeah. old. <laughs> They're so old. And so I was like walking around saying things that no one used anymore. And I had people come up to me and say, oh, that's funny. No, like no one uses honey to address your friends anymore. Um, I didn't know what cap was and that. Like, I, don't I mean, know. I don't know the slang. I have to ask my students all the time to tell me, like, what are the new slang terms? I thought lit was still being used. It's not. Apparently, it's out now. <laughs> so really, like, reality TV, pop culture, like, reading about pop culture, opening People magazine taught me more about how to fit in than what people deem as, like, appropriate and standard because people trash on pop culture all the time. I don't think that's fair because it says so much about us. And it's like, I think the key for us to understand each other is through pop culture in some ways. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah because it is unscripted. So people are just using their everyday slang that they yeah. would use. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned your book about reality TV, but I want to ask you a question about one of your other books, Dominatrix, Gender, Eroticism Erotic. and Control in the Dungeon. Because you explore the dynamics of power, gender, and desire within BDSM relationships. And I want to know what led you to this topic. And what are your most surprising findings from your research? Yeah, that's a good question. So when I was in graduate school, I again, I was interested in gender and sexuality. And I needed a topic for my dissertation. Um, and um, it was interesting. I was in a class with another student who worked at a dungeon, not as a dominatrix, as basically a receptionist. But she said, like, you should come, like, check out my workplace because it's really interesting in terms of gender dynamics. And so I went there and I thought there would be a lot of literature on dominatrixes because this is, this, to me, this fascinating social world. And there really wasn't that much at the time. And so I thought, oh, okay, so I'm going to write about this. That was my dissertation, and I ended up turning it into my first book. I think a lot of things surprised me. I think one of the things that was surprising to me is that we, by looking at the dominatrix's dungeon, we can actually learn more about our power dynamics in everyday life. Hmm. I think a lot of people think like, oh, this is just this kind of kinky, erotic realm off to the side. If you don't participate in it, it has nothing to do with you. But the relationship between the dominatrix who is giving a service but is supposed to be in power and then the client who is paying for the service but is also supposed to be submissive is really nuanced and we can sort of apply that relationship to other professional relationships that we encounter in our lives yeah. so again it's another example of by looking at so-called deviant behavior. And again, by that, I just mean behavior that falls outside of a norm. I don't mean that in a judgmental, morally yeah. judgmental kind of way. Um, we can learn more about the central facets of social life. 
Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I I never thought about like the whole power play. One person's paying, but they are supposed to be submissive. That's interesting. Right, but at the end of the day, right, they have the money, yeah. which is the power. And then I also want to talk about your most recent book, which is True Story: What Reality TV Says About Us. That you examine the impact of reality television on our perceptions of self and society. And I want to know how do you see reality TV shaping cultural values, and what do you think the future holds for this genre? Yeah, so there's a lot of research on the differences between people who watch a lot of reality TV and other people, and correlation is not causation. So we don't really—it's hard to establish causation that actually watching the shows affects you in some way. Yeah. So there's one study that showed that watching just one episode of the TV show The Biggest Loser. Which is like a weight loss show,、um, resulted in people having worse perceptions of overweight people,、um, and so it, I mean it's reasonable to believe.、Yeah. Also, we're watching so much reality TV. Clearly, it's affecting the way that we think and move and feel in the world and our attitudes. Another study showed that people who watch lots of reality TV tend to perceive romantic relationships as being more full of conflict than other people,、oh. which is conflict is rife in reality TV. Um, and so it clearly affects the way we move in the world. I think that people sometimes underestimate the positive facets of reality TV. I think they reality TV more than scripted TV has introduced us to a wide array of communities, including marginalized communities like LGBTQ plus people who are not always represented in the best ways in reality TV. But I think sometimes there's something to be said for representation, and they've been represent, re- represented in reality TV since the early '90s, way before scripted media started to catch up. So I think there are certainly negative impacts of reality TV. I think there are some positive impacts as well. There was a second part to that question. What was the second part? The second part is, what do you think the future holds for this genre? I think some of it is. Reality TV is clearly already moving in the direction of these little reality shows that people make for themselves—the YouTubers and the、yeah. TikTokers, right? Like even my nine-year-old has a favorite YouTuber at this point, and so we see that. Although you know, network television, streaming, streaming services have not gone away; they're still alive and well. There's a lot of new Netflix shows that people are watching,、um, but I do think we'll be we'll see move, the move kind of more toward these kind of homegrown, do-it-yourself、oh, okay. um, reality shows. But also, I mean, I think reality TV has always used new technologies in really interesting ways, and so it's going to be interesting to see how reality TV incorporates the new technologies that crop up. Like maybe a reality show that's just robots,、oh. right? Or like ChatGPT somehow used in a reality show. But I do think it's going to be on the cutting edge of incorporating these new technologies as well. I never thought, like, yeah, maybe that's true. A vlog could. Could be like a, a reality show, kind of like it's a series of me following their lives on a daily basis. But I think in terms of technology, I don't know. Have you watched Big Brother? Not in a while. Are、oh, they incorporating new technologies? Big Brother. Okay, so I watch Big Brother Brazil every year because they're they're insane and they do these challenges that like they incorporate. Let's say. The equivalent version of Postmates, and then they have giant phones, and then they play with those giant phones in the challenges to win like better food, because obviously the food in Big Brother is 
kind of like supposed to not be the best so with the challenges you win better food and like it's geared toward like apps and then they do promotions for the apps that i could also have on my phone even though they have like giant phones and that's what they're using and it's interesting it's insane the mechanisms of it all i watch it every year it's the most popular show here in brazil so i watch it every year but oh really it changes all it's the most popular show of the year like insane ratings every year it gives so much money for the for the streaming services and for the network TV because no one watches network TV anymore except when Big Brother's on. And they have this thing like, you know, pay-per-view and then they make a lot of money too. It's an insane industry. And then they have a glass house that they sometimes put in public with the, the people that are inside the house and then people can go and literally see them. Which is, I think, is so weird. Like, tourists can just go and see them? Yeah. Like, I wow. one day, if someone's in the glass house, I can walk in, see where they're being shown exposed, and look. And they can see me looking at them. Wow. That's fascinating. It's, I think that that's weird. But it is not weird for us, but weird for... I can't imagine what it would be like to be inside the the glass house and feel like a literal object, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Another question you mentioned about relationships, actually, when you were answering my question about how people who watch reality TV perceive relationships as more filled with conflict. And my question was, in recent years, we've seen a surge in reality TV shows centered around dating and finding love, like The Bachelor franchise, Love Island, Blind Love, like, (laughs) there are so many of them. And I wanted to get your perspective on, like, why do you think these shows keep getting produced, why they're such a big hit, and how do you think, again, these shows influence our expectations about romance and romantic relationships. Yeah, again, it's hard to establish influence or causation with the data we yeah. have. Um, you know, again, there's some evidence that people who watch these romance shows tend to perceive relationships as being more full of conflict. They're more likely to drink alcohol on dates. They're more likely to go hot tubbing on dates. <laughs> so the people who watch these shows are different in some ways from the people who don't. And yeah. whether that's the influence of the shows or whether they just happen to be different people who tend to tune into the shows, we don't know. I think it's reasonable to believe that it does impact the way that we view relationships. Although I also think people are pretty savvy at this point. I don't know very many people who are watching The Bachelor and saying, I'm going to learn from that. (laughs) But I think maybe we do internalize it a little bit and the norms that we see there. One of the things I think is really interesting about dating shows that I mentioned in my book is that at the end of the day, they're pretty conservative, even if the premises are really like out there and weird, like love is blind the end of the day it's really about like dyadic so like two people heterosexual coupling like almost like often between people of like similar races and age ranges and if it's not then that's like presented as a problem often and so like in terms of like actual like mating practices they're pretty conservative and i do think people respond to that 
Um, and people are sort of, you know, it's like a pacifier for our cultural anxieties about the fact that like society is changing and romantic relationships are changing because even in these zany worlds, yeah. it's still all about like getting two heterosexual people usually to the altar. Yeah. I think, I think The Bachelor's crazy. I think Love Island, I like Love Island though, the British version. I just think it's so funny. Mm-hmm. But again, I think it's interesting. They are becoming so, so, so much more popular. More popular, I think, than other types of reality TV. I think every year... I don't know. Did you see the Duolingo April Fool's prank? No, I didn't. They pretended that they were releasing a reality show based off of you get paired up with someone that you don't speak their language and you use Duolingo to learn the language of your part, future romantic partner. But it wasn't real. It wasn't real. We uh, knew it I wasn't. I believe that. I believed it for a second until I noticed that one of the girls doing the promotion is an ex-reality TV star and she's supposed to be engaged. And I was like, I don't think she would be doing this right now. But it, it was insane. Everyone believed it for a while. We didn't notice who the cast were. And it was a really good promo for Duolingo. Huh. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. It was, it was a really funny promo. And they had the bird, the owl thing showing up. Um, it was very, it was interesting. And do you think this also relates to your past comments about representation and about marginalized communities? Do you see this representation evolving in reality TV? And what do you think, how do you think that's going to, that impacts marginalized communities, like reality TV? Yeah, I think there's there's starting to be a recognition, at least like in a post-George Floyd world, that, you know, marginalized communities need to have, especially racially marginalized, marginalized racial communities need to have more representation just in the media in general, not just, you know, reality TV, you know, hashtag Hollywood so white, right? <laughs> like uh, there's attention has been brought to this issue and so you know the creators of reality tv shows it seems have been kind of making inroads toward that whether that persists in the future i don't know but it seems to be moving in a more diverse direction um although again like as i said right representation isn't everything especially if you're being represented in a way that is very stereotypical and plays into dominant stereotypes about, say, your racial group or about your sexual identity. Um, And so we always have to be wary about that, because even if you have, like, you know, an extremely racially diverse cast that can still be promulgating harmful stereotypes about certain races. But I do think that there is a kind of newfound, especially in the last few years, awareness that reality TV does need to move in a more diverse direction. Although in some ways, as I said, reality TV has always been more diverse than other forms of media. You know, they had like a gay person on the real world in the 19 mid 1990s, early to mid 1990s. So, you know, at the time that was almost unthinkable. Um, but yeah, I think I think in the past few years we've seen a shift, and I don't know if that's going to continue. And I think you should also be wary about not just representation, but the ways in which people are being represented. And I know you did a segment on like shiny happy people, Duggar family secrets, and I wanted to know your opinion on these sort of like 
hyper-religious shows that they used to have. I, I don't think they have those anymore. I, I think they're very outdated. But I just wanted to, you know, get a little bit of your opinion in regards to that. You mean religious, like the Duggar family? Yeah, religious? like they used to show these super conserv, like super conservative, misogynistic, racist beliefs on like TV, openly, and I wanted to get yeah. your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see if they would book that show today. I don't know. I mean, again, I think reality TV takes us for better or worse, right, into areas yeah. of social life that other forms of entertainment don't necessarily always show us. And so, you know, in some ways we learn from these shows, right? Like I'm watching like the Jewish matchmaker now and yeah. I'm learning so much about Judaism just from watching about the show, even though I thought I already knew a lot about it, but I, I'm learning a lot about it. So I think we can learn about, you know, that these, that these religions exist from reality TV. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know if these like hyper, if like that documentary is going to spawn more reality TV about these types of kind of, um, kind of patriarchal religions. But I mean, at the end of the day, all of society is patriarchal. So it's not just the Duggars who have like defined gender roles. Yeah. I think that we really like learning about cults. Like, I don't know, especially... There's so many docu-series about cults. Yeah. I know, and I've seen a lot. I don't know and even not even docuseries just movies like once upon a time in Hollywood was Mm -hmm. like even though it's not supposed to be centered around a cult it like all the major events happen because of the cult that surrounds that movie and yeah I don't Midsommar was a really big deal like the horror movie also cult Unbreakable Kimi on Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was interesting from a humorous perspective. Yeah, that, that was hilarious, but I was, it also is kind of about a cult. Have you watched Mixed Dish? No, I haven't. Is that about a cult? No, but the back, okay, the background of the main character is that she comes from a cult and it's just glossed like it's literally a flashback, like two minute flashback about her leaving a cult and she's super mentally stable, which I. <laughs> On, in her future with her kids which I don't think would be possible but she escaped like her family essentially her cult was raided by the US government that's like a, a huge part of her backstory I mean I think we like to peer into little worlds that are not familiar to us right yeah. but I think with cults also there's also the sense of could I get sucked in, right? Like, where am I in relation to this cult? You might feel superior because you might think, well, I would never, right, like, fall prey to this. Or you might, you might feel like, oh, maybe maybe given the right set of circumstances, I would actually be a part of this cult. But I guess the final question I have is, what is one skill and or advice that you have learned throughout your career and research that you would give you know, to young people, to society, to people in general? Yeah, so actually, in my last class of the year, I always give my students, especially the ones who are graduating, two pieces of advice, and they're short, so I'm going to give you both of them. (laughs) So the first one is, as you go about your career, be really nice and kind to people who are in service positions, like 
wait staff, administrative assistants, first of all, because their jobs are probably a lot harder than you know they are, having been in a job like that, it's true, but also they have a lot more power than you think that they have. So again, be extremely nice and kind to people in those kind of support positions. And the second piece of advice I always give isn't really advice, but I always tell my students, you know, if you don't know what you wanna be, if you don't know what you're doing with your life, so many of us have been in your shoes and you'll figure it out. And, and to a certain extent, all of us, even your professors are just kind of muddling through. We're just all doing the best we can. And so if you're graduating or if you're a young person and you're not sure what you wanna do with your life, you're in the company of so many other people and you will muddle through and you will figure it out. Okay, that was great. Thank you so much. Thank you for yeah. the advice and thank you for answering all my questions and joining me today. Thank you so much. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me.